Hello, world. Welcome back to the Ignited Fortitude podcast with Bobby and Steve. We have a very special guest with us today, somebody we've been trying to get on for a while that Bobby and I have talked about for a long time, Dr. Jeff Myers, the the CEO of Summit Ministries. And uh, we're going to get into some worldview topics here. Let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, for those of you that participated in the survey, we have your results and the bad thing is we're all over the map, but I guess that's a good thing too, because it helps us understand uh, maybe some things that we need to focus on and some things that we need to do. Um, Jeff, you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself in Summit Ministries? Yes, the Summit Ministries is a Colorado-based organization. You know, y'all are in Mountain Time as well. That We are focused on two things, equipping and supporting a rising generation to embrace God's truth and to champion a biblical worldview. We operate out of this antique hotel that's sitting right next door to where I am in this little hippie town called Manitou Springs, which is right at the foot of Pikes Peak. And in this program... We bring students together for two weeks at a time. We bring them together with top Christian thought leaders. You know some of these guys, Sean McDowell uh, from Biola University, Jay Warner Wallace, author of Cold Case Christianity, Frank Turek, Mm -hmm. author of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, people like that for two weeks where the students can ask all of their hard questions, develop a Christian worldview, understand the counterfeit worldviews that are out there and vying for their hearts and minds, and then learn how to become the kind of leaders we need for our culture. Yeah, especially seeing where the way our culture is going, and even where the church is going after this whole, I mean, the I think the past two years, right, just of everything that just kind of blew up. Um, how does, <clears throat> in your book, you talk about how worldview influences pretty much all the decisions that you make. It does, yes. Yeah. So a worldview is a pattern of ideas, of beliefs, of convictions, and of habits. So ideas are the things that we that we think about reality. Uh, beliefs are the things that we uh, that we develop. The the pattern, the the understanding of the world that we develop based on the ideas we embraced. Mm-hmm. Our convictions are the things that we really will stand for, and then our habits are the way. That's the way we live our lives based on what we believe to be true. So think about it this way: what you believe about God will determine what you believe about what is real. Most people don't think about that, but reality, today there's this big battle over whether reality is actually real or whether our truths are up to us as individuals. So it affects what you believe about God affects what you believe about reality. What you believe about reality affects what you believe about what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. What you believe about what's right and wrong will affect what you believe about the value of life, what makes a good society, what justice is, what kind of a political system we should have, even how our minds stay healthy. So everything is affected by these big questions and how you answer them right at the beginning. And you, you, you address something where ideas have consequences. Right, that's a big thing that you guys talk about at some ministries. Um, one of the things that you that you talk about is, is, especially in secret battle of ideas and understanding the times, you talk about four steps to arresting the influence of bad ideas. Right? Yeah. Well. Yes. Yes. You, so the the very first thing you've got to do in under in in recognizing is recognize that everybody has a worldview. Mm-hmm. Nobody is neutral. I've had people say to me, well, see, you're religious, so you have a worldview. I'm not religious, so I'm neutral. No, no, no. Everybody is religious. 
A religion, according to the dictionary, is any set of beliefs about the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe. Everybody has assumptions they make about the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe. Everybody is religious. I mentioned this on a Fox News show one time, and, and the host and the other guests were just completely stunned. And one of them said, I've never thought about this before. Yeah, if you're an atheist, you're religious. Yeah, if okay. you're a Christian, you're religious. So we have to understand that these worldviews that shape us are religious worldviews. That's the first thing. The second thing is you've got to understand counterfeit worldviews. They say in the military, if you want your, if you want to be strong in your mind against your enemy, you, you have to understand your enemy. You have to know what your enemy's tactics are, what the enemy's strengths are, what the enemy's weaknesses are, and so forth. And there are counterfeit worldviews. By a counterfeit, I mean a, a, a worldview. Well, a counterfeit is an imitation of a thing that intends to defraud by passing itself off as an original. So I was in, uh, a, a foreign city and a guy walked up to me and said, Hey, do you want to buy a real fake Rolex? <laughs> and I, and I wanted to say, are you sure it's a real fake? Because everybody else on the street is selling fake fakes. You know, <laughs> what he meant was my watches are so fake that they look more real. That's what happens with counterfeit worldviews. And take a little bit of truth and use that to lead to a lot of error. You have to be able to understand those. And then the, the next step is you've got to be able to engage with people who have wrong worldviews in a discerning kind of dialogue so that you can move yourself closer to the truth and move other people closer to the truth. Sure. And then um, so let's talk about the four different or five different worldviews, the, the counterfeit worldviews. Yeah. So there's new spirituality, postmodern, Marxist, and secular, and Islamic views. You want to you wanna hit on, on how that actually affects people and their thinking? Because if I can share my screen real fast, I can show you kind of where, where our participants fell. Okay. This was an overview right here. Yeah. Yeah, so so the the people who've taken the survey so far, 20% new spiritualist, 30% postmodern, 10% marxist, 30% secularist, 10% islamic. Um that's that's pretty well across that's pretty accurate across the board. That's where a lot of people fall these days. Uh-huh. So so yes, so uh, let me just give a brief overview of each of those what I call counterfeit worldviews. And keep in mind, this is not this is not a complete list of all sure. the possible worldviews, right? There, mm -hmm. there was a, uh, there was a, a survey in Great Britain. Uh, the British love to to try to game surveys when the government puts them out, and so they just write down fake things. Uh, so there were fifty six thousand people, I think it was, who said they their religion is Jedi. That's <laughs> that's their stated religion, right? Okay. Eight thousand people said my religion is heavy metal music. Right? Yeah. There, there could be hundreds of possible worldviews. Why did I choose these five? Because I would say ninety or so percent of the the ideas that are common in the West spring or bad ideas that are common in the West spring from these five ideas. So secular, secular is a Latin word that means to an age, like an age of a person, the only the material world exists. And this is all we have. Nothing happens after we die. So the only thing that really matters is, is what happens during our lifetimes. 
That's how we should make all of our decisions. The Marxist worldview says that the basic problem in the world is that the rich have taken more than their fair share and we need to take it back. A new spiritualist worldview says everything is one. Good and evil are the same thing. Man and woman are the same thing. Everything is one. And the key to, to success in life is losing your own self-identity and melting into the oneness of all things. The Islamic worldview says there is a God, but that God is not knowable by us as people. We can only follow his laws. And so Sharia law then becomes a guide for how you live that sort of life. The postmodern worldview is skeptical of all of the others. Sure. It says, yeah, I'm not so sure. I don't think truth can really be known. Truth is not out there for to be discovered, or at least not in a way that we as humans can discover it. Rather, we just socially construct our own individual truths. So you can see the influence of all five of those in our own society today. For sure. Well, and, I, go, go ahead, Bob. Go ahead, Steve. Go ahead, Steve. With, uh, because I was doing some research when we with this podcast and I was looking into the deconstruction movement. And one of the things that uh, really stood out to me is like, they probably, what kind of bothers me is that they still consider themselves Christians, a lot of them, but um, they, they fit more into the postmodern view um, worldview. And um, it was really interesting to read some of that. Like one of the articles I read at the end, this lady said, we can do good without God. And it almost made me laugh because it, it was laughable, but also sad because, no, you literally can't. Like you can't know good without God. Now, otherwise, it's up to us, our definition of good. Right, Steve, that's a great point. You And, and the way you phrase it is exactly the, the right way to understand it. We, we may be able to do good because we were designed by God to bear his image, but we can't know what good is. And scripture tells us that the things that we do that we think are good actually produce bad results yeah. if they're not based in, in the Holy Spirit, based in an understanding of who Jesus is and an acceptance of him as Savior. So... Yes, there are a lot of different ways that people try to figure out what is good, but most of them, they sit in the lap of God in order to slap him in the face, right? Yeah, we, yeah. we would have no understanding of what good is. We have no understanding of what evil is. If everybody gets to decide their own individual truth, then why pursue justice? That doesn't make any sense. There is no such thing as justice. Justice is whatever we want it to be. Who's the we? And all of a sudden you realize, man, we are in a mess if we don't have some basic absolute standard we can go back to. Yeah, one of the things I believe, and I heard it, uh, I think when you were doing the Christian Worldview podcast, when you were talking about postmodern, where, and I don't remember how it went, uh, but somebody went in and they're like, look at our postmodern building and our architecture. And we have uh, hallways that lead to nowhere. You want, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. There's, well, I, in, I tell the students at Summit Ministries a story about the Wexner Center for Performing Arts at The Ohio State University. And this is a building that was designed by a postmodern architect. His name is Peter Eisenman. And it is literally designed to be a building that is com they, coming into existence or going out of existence or unformed. So yes, there's a staircase that doesn't go anyplace. There are beams that do not go all the way to the wall. There are columns that do not go all the way to the floor to create an illusion of meaninglessness. And of course, 
It is an illusion, and that's the important thing to understand. Why do you think Peter Eisenman didn't make all of the columns to only go halfway to the floor? <laughs> because, because the building would collapse, yeah. right? So he's using elements of truth to create a stable building that creates the illusion of meaninglessness. And, you know, it's a really cool building. It's a, probably a really fun architecture project. I'm sure the citizens of the state of Ohio probably overpaid by many tens of millions of dollars to get that building. But, but it is an example of how postmodern thinking assumes that there is truth that can be known in order to say that there is not truth and, yeah. no, and nothing can be known. Even yeah. the very words we use, we're assuming that when we use those words that we're talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. Now, you said that these worldviews, you know, especially because you're, you know, so Steve and I uh, are in high school ministry. We teach the youth. And so this is a big thing. We had our, our youth group take this test uh, probably six months ago and, you know, had them all test. And then we answered, we went through the questions together as a group, you know, and some of the things were, you know, like Islam, like an Islamic view would be about being religious. And, and the way that it's, I think it's worded on the quiz is like, is a good Christian somebody that reads their Bible daily, prays daily, right? And it turns out like that if you if you think that that's what makes you a good Christian, then you're really leaning towards the Islamic view, right? Because it's all about a religious way of interacting with God, correct? It, uh, so the Islamic view is essentially following rules. Remember, in the Islamic worldview, you're not a son or daughter of God. You're a slave of God. No. God does not reveal his nature and character to you as we see in scripture. Rather, God has revealed the laws that we must follow. So we, we learn to obey those laws, and that is how we live good lives. So it, the way it ends up being really scary to me, about 50% of the young adults that we have studied say that if, if uh, this, the, the, the main purpose, the root of society's problems is that people don't obey God, and they should be forced to do so if necessary. 50% of Christian, self-identified Christian church-attending young adults say that. They, so the Islamic worldview is essentially one of force from their perspective. Yeah. That you can make people be good by telling them what to do. And you see that all over our society today. If you don't follow the, the current ideas of social justice, then you are a bad person. You need to be ashamed of yourself. Shame becomes the main way that we get that, that we, that we get the kind of society that we want. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the dangerous things, especially with young kids, you know, I know for, for me and Steve, just our heart wanting them to have a true understanding of who they are in Christ, having that right identity is because you talk about in the book that, you know, based on your worldviews, you're tip you're you're essentially answering these questions, right? And some of those are, am I loved? Why do I hurt? Does my life have meaning? And why can't we get along? Yes. Do you want to elaborate yeah. on the, that? Yes. So uh, these are questions that everybody asks. Not everybody asks, what is the nature of reality? You know, what is metaphysics? What is ontology? What is epistemology? You know, people sure. don't think in those terms. But we all want to know Am I loved? Is there anyone who loves me for who I am, not just what I can do for them? We have a performance-based society because we've kind of embraced the materialistic ideal. Uh, and by materialism, I don't mean getting lots of stuff, although that is a goal of a lot of people. By materialism, I mean the idea that only the material world exists. 
So even if people believe in God, they act as if God is not relevant, Jesus is not relevant, the Holy Spirit's not relevant, our eternal destiny is not relevant. We just do what we think is best for ourselves every day, and that's what's going to lead us to a good life. But we, but at the, in our hearts, we still wonder, what meaning does my life have? Mm-hmm. And so another one of the big questions is, what is my purpose? 75% of young adults, according to a study done in December by George Barna, say that they have no sense of purpose in life. 50% say they're regularly struggling with anxiety and depression. A third, according to George Barna's survey, said they aren't even sure what gender they are. Mm -hmm. There's so much confusion and purposelessness out there. And I just want everybody to know, you can discover the truth. You can use reason to discover truth. You can look at scripture because that is God's special revelation to us where he tells us his name and tells us his attributes and explains how we can be reconciled to him. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, go ahead, dude. One of the questions that, um, that I heard you talk about in, um, unquestioned answers was every worldview has to explain evil because a lot of people are have that question of well if god is so good why does he allow suffering and and evil to to happen and can you go into that a little bit about how every worldview has to explain evil yes every single student who comes out to one of our summit ministries two-week-long programs has this question if god is good then he would not allow evil. And if he's all powerful, he would be capable of stopping evil. And so either God is not all powerful or he's not good. And to them, a lot of them, that's a showstopper. Even if they've grown up in the church, they can't figure out how to resolve that question. So we go back to, at Summit Ministries, we go back to Genesis. We we talk about how God created the very idea of good. And that how, an evil is not like an opposite force. It's not like in Star Wars where one side of the force is good and the other side of the force is evil. Rather, evil is that which chips away at what is good. Evil is like rust is to a car. You don't necessarily see the rust. What you see is the, the damage that the rust does. So that's a biblical understanding. And then, and of course, Scripture says that Jesus is the answer to the problem of evil, that Jesus came to restore us to God and enable us to bring restoration to the world in which we live. But you see, other worldviews will point at Christianity and say, see, you have a logical problem there. You can't answer this question. But every worldview has to answer it. What's the secular worldview's answer to the problem of evil? Everything evolved from random chance processes, as Richard Dawkins says, DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. And we mm-hmm. dance to its music that we're completely helpless in the face of evil. The Marxist worldview says evil is what rich people do. So if we just kill all the rich people, then, then we will have a good society. Oh, really? How did that work out for the Soviet Union? Yeah. <laughs> How did that work out for communist China? More people died at the hands of their own governments in the 20th century because of that ideology than all of the people who've been killed at the hands of their governments in all of human history put together. Mm-hmm. So uh, new spirituality. If everything is one, then good and evil are the same thing. There's no distinction between them. You can't call something evil and another thing good. So you see, this is the point I was trying to get to, is that every worldview has to try to explain the problem of evil. 
And at very least, I think we have to acknowledge that only the Christian worldview even has a coherent understanding of what good and evil are to begin with. Well, and that's what I think is so, especially at the time that we're living in right now, just to see where a lot of uh, church leaders are even going with their congregations and jumping on the bandwagon of, there you go, right? Like, hey, you know what? I need to apologize for my whiteness because, uh, and it's like, what are we doing? Like, uh, I don't know if, if you ever get a chance to read Vody Bauckham's book, uh, Fault Lines. Uh, I read that over yes. the summer recently. And, you know, he, he brings that up where it's like, it. <clears throat> It replaces the gospel, right? And it's like, it, you know, now everybody's pushing to be woke where we need to be born again. And when that starts infiltrating into the church, we're losing the message of the gospel that, guess what? There only is only one Savior. Like, we're not going to find that in any kind of leadership or government or anything. We need to find that within the Savior of Jesus Christ. There's a part of Christianity and history, Steve, that, that is focused on accommodating the culture. We try to take what's in the culture and we, we try to sort of bring it into our own orbit. And, and some of the examples are really straightforward. Like there used to be a winter solstice. People would worship during winter solstice. And some early church fathers came along and said, let's use that as the time to celebrate Christ. But what's happening in the church today is that we've, we've granted to the culture that there is no truth that can be discovered. We've granted to the culture that our identities are based on our physical appearance or our self-perceptions. We've granted to the culture that no one can really know what is true. And then we're trying to figure out how to make Christianity fit in there. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. The Christian message is your primary identity is not in your sexuality. Your primary identity is not in your athleticism or your intelligence or your self-perception in any way. Have your primary identity in Christ. Then begin to go back and deal with all of those difficult things that have happened in your life and find healing. So one of the, the, the ways that you bring up on, on trying to have the students understand how to uh, fight these idea viruses, right, is you talk about giving them, uh, uh, giving them some truth, right, and informing them as opposed to isolating them from, you know, like we need to be in a Christian bubble, like I'm going to have my kids in Christian school, I'm going to have them on a Christian soccer league, you know what I mean? And and you talk about how you actually need to give them some of this virus, like they need to be able to understand what they're up against so that they can build a, a, def a, a good defense and kind of inoculate them with it. That's right. Yes. And so virus talk is one of the things we're so tired of right now, but it's really, it's really valuable to understand that we need strong spiritual and mental immune systems. And the way we get that is we, we, we talk about the bad viruses that can, can come in and we try to prepare ourselves to stand strong against those. We develop strength, not just by avoiding the viruses, but by uh, um, understanding them, having them come in in a, in a safe place, and then we can deal with them so we know how to respond when they, when they come up. And I know that's not a very articulate way of, of putting it, but I think that analogy is really helpful. Yes, it's good to be in a Christian soccer league if the young men and women in the soccer league are people of character who we want our kids to be around. Uh, I, one of my sons has a really strong friend group, and in difficult times of his life, it is that friend group that has helped him stay strong. 
I completely get that and completely understand that. But we're wrong to think that if we just isolate our kids from all of the bad ideas that we can think of, that that somehow will make them strong. That's just not the way it works. And it's not really possible. I mean, where, where can you go where you're not going to face bad ideas? Every place you go, they're playing music. Every place you go to, you go to the grocery store, there are those magazines at the checkout counter. You're going to face bad ideas wherever you are. We need to intentionally, proactively prepare our kids to understand the false worldviews, to understand why they're false, and to understand the beauty of the truth that's found in Scripture. I know one of the things that was helpful was during, uh, what was the election in 2016? You had done an episode and you were talking about, um, you know, just uh, uh, Bernie Sanders and, and what his agenda was and how he was going. And, you know, you said you said keywords like we need to identify keywords because depending on what somebody's saying will help you identify where they're coming from. And you, you said you already said it earlier on the podcast talking about fair share. Right. And right. I just remember, like, you know, unfortunately, I didn't pay attention in school like I should have. So like when you were giving that podcast, I was like just blown away because, you know, there are these things where you're like, oh, you know what? Everybody should have the right. Like, why do these people have more than I have? And I should have that. And then you like completely just annihilate it where it's like, look, it's not that they have more because they're taken away from you. And and if you could go into the story kind of where like you brought the analogy up of, of even with socialism, where it's like they are under the impression that somebody jumped over the fence, took all the, the eggs from the children. You know what I mean? And I just remember you talking about that. It's like, I had no idea. Um, if, if you know what I'm talking about, if you could elaborate on that. Yeah, ha- happy to. Well, Marxism is a body of ideas and it's socialism is the road to communism. So Marxism is the, I imagine Marxism as the car and then It's traveling along the road of socialism to the destination of communism. Socialism is what people often talk about. They talk about democratic socialism or dictatorial socialism as if there's somehow a difference. But socialism starts with the assumption that the material world is all there is. So there's only so much to go around. There are only so many trees. There's only so much gold. There are only so many diamonds. There are only so many rare earth minerals. And if everybody on the planet is truly equal, then we need to equally share in those material goods. The problem is that it's a wrong worldview. It's not true that there is only so much to go around. Guys, you won't remember this, but this will show my age. Back in the day, I bought Microsoft Windows. At the time, you had to go to the store, buy a box... And inside the box was a CD-ROM and a booklet explaining what this program is all about. The CD-ROM probably cost 50 cents to produce. The booklet cost 50 cents to produce. It's about a dollar fifty worth of material, right? But I paid $200 for it. Why? It's not. It has nothing to do with the value of the material elements. It has to do with the ideas that are in that program, that operating system, that when I employ them properly, help me significantly expand my productive use of my computer, right? So we all understand it isn't just the material world. It is our ideas, it's innovation, it's inspiration. So the socialist view of the world is, okay, there is a pie. Some people are getting a bigger piece of pie. And nobody likes that. When you were growing up and one of your siblings got a bigger piece of pie than you did, you measured it and you were angry about it, right? 
So the goal of life is to cut the pie in smaller and smaller pieces. Everybody has less, but that way at least everybody's equal. The biblical worldview says, no, ideas are unlimited. Innovation is unlimited. Inspiration is unlimited. We're not just trying to divide up the pie into smaller and smaller pieces. We're going to make more pies. Yeah. That everybody can have that kind of abundance. And, and this is actually a proven fact. Right now in the United States of America, we wonder how can people who are of different races and who have experienced discrimination ever bring themselves up, right? Well, uh, small business is one way that this is happening. Half of the small businesses started in the last four years were started by minority people. Um, African-Americans who have small businesses have 12 times the wealth of African-Americans who do not have small businesses. Let people start things, lower the barrier, encourage them, mentor them, help them start businesses so they can learn to be successful. Uh, I was speaking on this guys in one of our summit sessions and a, a young lady came up to me and said, well, I don't, I don't see how this idea of abundance applies to me. I walk dogs. That's my job. I can walk a dog for an hour and charge $10. So I have a limited amount of money that I can earn. And all of a sudden she looked at me, this inspiration had struck in her mind. And she said, wait a second, who says that I can only walk one dog at a time? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe I could find my friends and, and ask them to walk dogs and give them some of the profits. So all of a sudden she realized, no, money is limited. Money's a limited resource, but wealth is not. Mm -hmm. Innovation is not. Inspiration is not. Ideas are not. If we can get that message across, then we don't have to just respond to people like Bernie Sanders when they say everybody should be paying their fair share and say, no, we want everybody to be better off. Yeah, for sure. Jeff, so one of the things like I, we talk in your book and we've talked about it today, there's so many, I mean, there's so many worldviews, but you focused on five in your book. What is it that you see as like the biggest um hurdle facing us right now in terms of those five just in term, terms of christianity in general it doesn't even have to be associated with those worldviews because i i think it's important to realize like yes this is going to affect how we think but that might not be the only thing that's coming in and affecting christianity as a whole yeah well as far as christians are concerned I go back to what Peter said, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. I think a lot of Christians feel that we're kind of left out of the conversation. We're not welcomed into the conversation, so we shouldn't be asking questions. We shouldn't be explaining truth. You know, we should just sort of be on the sidelines. I think that's a major issue. Two-thirds of young adults say they're Christian. They think Jesus is cool. Jesus is great. But they don't have an understanding that scripture not only tells us how to get to heaven when we die, it gives us an understanding of how to live every single day of our lives, how to make better political decisions, how to truly pursue justice, biblical justice, not social justice in the way that it's uh, understood today and, mm -hmm. and so forth. So I think that might be the biggest issue is Christians are afraid. They don't see how their worldview applies to the issues of the day. And for a lot of young adults, 
You know, that's why the deconstructing Christianity movement is going on right now, because people are saying, I just don't see where the answers are. Well, they've never looked for the answers. They've never really sought to understand what is going on. That's why we're doing what we're doing at Summit Ministries. Uh, guys, I was just on a webinar yesterday with George Barna. We were meeting with a group of leaders, and I, I was able to share something that w that came out of some research that George Barna, and, and I, I guess everybody, People might not know who that is, but he's a veteran social researcher, one of the top pollsters in the United States of America. And he's found that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Well, by the time they finish at Summit Ministries, after just two weeks, 86% of the students have a biblical worldview. So you can understand the times in which you live, even if you're young, even if you say, I'm not really all that academic. It doesn't matter. You can understand the times and be the kind of person who brings truth to a world where, you know, what's the alternative? Purposelessness, aimlessness, anxiety, depression. Right. And I think that I think it's mm -hmm. super important what you said about like Christians not wanting to to share what they believe or maybe they don't even understand what they believe but also i think culture now uh, i read i had a quote um that culture in general looks at basic christian teachings not as old-fashioned not as problematic not just wrong but extreme and dangerous so i think that also contributes to them not wanting to share because they're going to be called bigots or you know whatever the case is but i think that has a lot to do and one of the things that they talked about was like the, this expressive individualism where you you're going to be uh you do yourself right like be be you and tr be true to yourself is what what they're basically saying and because christianity has a a more uh, yeah. I don't know how to word it, but a more structured um, yeah. look at the world, view of the world. They don't want to be included in the structure. They want to be individuals. Yeah, I, I think it, in most conversations, you can start to address that just by asking questions. What does it mean to have a self? Why is the self valuable? Why is persuasion better than force? Because force, forcing people to do something is a lot more efficient and you can get your way without having to talk about it. You know, why, why, why is an individual important? What is the basis of the dignity that we have? The world tends to assume that all of those things are true, but the very way truth is understood by most people today undercuts it. So, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of room for Christians to have great conversations, asking questions. What do you mean by that? Yeah. How did you arrive at that conclusion? How do you know that what you believe is true? You don't even have to make proclamations. You can just ask questions. Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing that I got from reading both of your books was uh, both of the unquestioned answers and the secret battle of ideas was to when you're having those conversations, to almost always lead off with a question because that it sh mm -hmm. and it shows that we're not about trying to prove you wrong, but we want to understand where you're coming from as well. It, it's fascinating to me, guys, and as, as youth pastors, you've studied scripture, you've studied the gospels. How does this apply to our lives? We often talk about the teachings of Jesus, but we rarely talk about the questions of Jesus mm -hmm. in, in the gospels. Jesus asked 288 questions. Wow. And he didn't always provide the answer to the questions, <laughs> by the way. 
Sure. But he was always asking questions. Mm. That's a discipline that we can recover. Imagine that you're in your dorm room or you're, you're at work and you're around the water cooler and people are talking about things. Conversation goes pretty fast. It seems disorienting. You're, you're thinking, how do I apply a Christian worldview and how do I not come across looking like an idiot? And, uh, but the way to do that is by asking questions to, to pry. If somebody says, well, that's just wrong. You know, hey, hold on a second. Where do you get your idea of wrong? Yeah. And how do you yeah. know that wrong is really wrong and not just your individual perception? No, that's the kind of question that keeps on asking in people's minds <laughs> and hearts long after the conversation is over. Yeah, I think you guys have Greg Kolkel come to Summit, right? Yeah, yes. I, I read his book Tactics years ago, and that was you know one of the big things that I you know what do you mean by that? Yeah, which is which is great. Um, that book should be in the library of every Christian. It's the number one selling book at Summit Ministries. Wow. Even sells more copies to our students than than my books, which are the basis of our <laughs> curriculum. And and it, it's it's very simple. How do you have conversations? How do you talk about difficult things? Uh, at and Greg Kokel is brilliant at that. He he speaks, or one of his representatives speaks at every program we do. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, I know we need to wrap it up here. I, I I do have a question for you. So with the students that go to Summit. You know, you say by the time they leave there, they have it. There's 98% of the students that have it. As, a, as Steve and I, as youth leaders, I feel, right, that that means that we're dropping the ball as we're getting ready to send them. You know, as, as you receive students, it, it's kind of like what has been going on the last four, six, you know, 12 years that hasn't. And, you know, one thing that we talk about on the podcast is, you know, equipping the parents because the major influence comes from the parents. But as, as a, a as youth leaders, what is it that we can do to help them better equip themselves? You know, we teach through the Bible and we teach through things. And I think it was an eye opener for our kids when it was like, all right, take this quiz. And then they saw that not all of them were hundred percent Christian. I was like, all right, well, you know, we teach through the Bible. We're all sitting in this class, but there are other things influencing your life. What are some other things that we could do to help them just grasp this? Cause not, I know, I mean, as much as I would love to send my kids to summit instead of to youth camp, I know that's not going to happen. Oh, it should happen. You, you got to make it happen. I, I wish. This, uh, so so Summit, Summit Ministries is a resource to help youth pastors and parents achieve this goal. Listen, there's only so much you can do in 45 minutes a week. You can love on them. You can help them understand that they are valuable. You can help them in their personal devotional lives. You're discipling them. But there is a discipleship of the mind that needs to take place as well. And that's why resources like Summit Ministries can help. Now, we have a lot of newsletters and other resources that can help. I have this uh, show called the Dr. Jeff Show yeah. podcast. And we talk about how worldview changes everything. We're bringing up current issues and analyzing them from a biblical worldview. That's a resource that can help. And it's free. It's available wherever you get podcasts. Another resource we have is called Reflect. It comes out every Friday, and it takes something from the popular culture. Like we'll do an analysis, a biblical worldview analysis of Squid Game, or you know, or um, you know, just different musicians, different things that are happening in the popular culture, trying to understand them from a biblical worldview. It, it seems to me that if our kids are in the world, then our goal is not to try to isolate them more. The goal is to try to help them understand the world from a true biblical perspective. And it's it's tough. I get it. 
especially if the amount of time you have with them is limited. You know, at, at Summit, we, we kind of, I have all of my staff draw out a picture of a DNA double helix, just two intersecting lines. And I tell them, one strand is truth, the other strand is relationship. And then I have them draw the little connecting nucleotides between the two strands. What is your job? If you ask anybody at Summit Ministries, they will tell you, my job is to put rungs in the ladder between truth and relationship for people every day. Mm. So bring the facts to bear. Bring the vibrance of a biblical worldview to bear when they're thinking about it. And it's really simple to start with this. You can just ask them, what are the big questions that your classmates in school are wrestling with? Mm -hmm. Get a complete list and then begin developing lessons to help them answer those questions. You will have them on the edge of their seats. Yeah, we went through, um, I think it was like last year, we were going through um, the cultural translator from John Stone Streets. I can't think of his ministry, but, you know, he has a cultural translator. And, you know, one of the things he yes. brought up was when, you know, Harry Styles was on the cover of, I don't know, it was like Vogue or something like that in a dress, you know, and it was like, you know, and so we talked to them like, hey, what do you guys think about this? You know what I mean? Here we go. There's this dude was One Direction and now he's, you know what I mean, doing something else. Like, how do you think that's going to impact your peers? You know what I mean? And how does that affect you? You know, so we try to do, yeah. I, I know we've tried to do certain things in the past, but, you know, it's just like, I, you know, you had Alicia Childress on your on your Dr. Jeff show just recently, and I read her I read through her book Another Gospel, and it was just great because it's like you know talking about progressivism and just how everything it's just like, but you know it's just that little bit of of them counterfeiting that truth and having them doubt what their beliefs are, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's so there's so many resources out there that can help. Culture Translator is a good example. There are a number of others. The the a ministry called Axis does a lot of great yeah, things Access, to equip was, yeah. parents and students. And those are all Summit graduates, graduates of our program here. Yeah. So there, there are a number of great resources. But we also have to keep in mind, you know, it's not that Christians have spent the last two thousand years doing nothing. Great smart Christians have written and studied and worked and transformed science and the arts and education and even the understanding of the value of human life and justice and politics and all of these things. So we, we do have to read and study more. Uh, one thing I found with the students at Summit Ministries, if you put a challenge out there before them, they will, they'll accept it. Uh, they, their capacity is far more than they are given credit for in our culture. Oh, yeah. We have a good group of kids that are fired up about stuff like that. That's cool. Steve, you got anything yeah. else? But Is there anything new that you're working on that you want to talk about real quick? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. I've got a new book that is just in the final editing stages right now called Truth Changes Everything. And it starts out with the assumption that, well, the claim that I make is, we do face a battle in our culture, and it's not a battle between Republicans and Democrats or conservatives and liberals or red states and blue states or even the religious or non-religious. It is a battle over the very nature of truth. Does truth, capital T, exist in a way that can be discovered by us, or is truth merely up to the individual? Well, people debate a lot about that, and in this book, I decided to go back in history, especially to critical moments of crisis when the world could have gone a very different direction and how Jesus followers in those times of crisis said, Jesus is the truth. And on that basis, they developed modern science. On that basis, they developed the arts. 
I mean, very few people know this. I have a lot of students going into STEM areas. They don't even consider the possibility that Christianity is relevant. But guess what? Of all the people who've ever won a Nobel Prize in science, two-thirds of them are self-identified Christians. Two-thirds. Wow. Of, of the people, Rodney Stark, a sociologist and historian yeah. who analyzed uh, early science, of the people who formed modern science, of the 50, he gives 56 names, only one of them was an atheist. One. Wow. And one was probably a new spiritualist. All the others were believing Christians who said, well, the Bible teaches us that creation happened, and so there's an intelligence behind it. So we would expect to find order in nature. No other worldview would expect to find order in nature. Uh, the world is stable and can be understood by us, and we ought to understand it. Nature is good, but it's not God. All of these things that proceed from a biblical Christian worldview are the things that help to develop modern science. That gives students tremendous confidence when they go into their classes. Awesome. That's cool. When does that book come out? September 20th. Can't wait. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll have to talk about it again closer to the launch time, but... That sure. I think that's going to be a fun project because it tells a lot of stories, crazy stories of really quirky people who just love Jesus and believe that Jesus is the truth and that that would enable them to become the very best artists, the very best scientists, the very best educators, the very best politicians, the very best judges. And, and it, they literally change the course of the world. Awesome, man. Well, we would definitely love to have you back on and talk about that book and talk about some of that stuff from your findings. Hey, we don't Guys, want to keep you, you anymore. For... Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. We don't want to keep you. We know you're on a, on a tight time frame. Uh, if you have nothing else to close with, if you don't mind praying us out. Yeah, I'd be happy to do it. Uh, Father, we, we know that you have called us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray that you would give each person who's viewing this podcast the ability to do that today in a new way through the power of your Holy Spirit. Equip us in our minds, equip us to be strong, equip us to be bold, and equip us to be fearless. Do not fear. It's the most repeated command in Scripture. Help us to be people of courage. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Dr. Jeff. Thanks, guys.